Uh, well, good morning again, and welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. My name is Dustin, and I get to be the pastor here. And uh, I just want to let you know that the staff and I and the leaders, we are working so hard on getting back together uh, in person here for worship. And we are hoping and praying uh, that we are just a few days away from that. Uh, but uh, as we make some of those decisions, just so you know, we are uh, in conversations with uh, some of the own doctors in our congregation who uh, have been treating COVID patients here in the valley. So I uh, know that we are praying and uh, we are excited and hopeful to worship again uh, together as the body of Christ. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're going through the Gospel of John. So I'd love for you to grab a Bible if you've got one at home or maybe pull it up on your phone. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 14 today. And we're just going to go through verses 1 through 11 this morning. So hopefully you've got a Bible of your own. Uh, if you're that kind of person, I would encourage you to uh, take notes in your Bible, underline certain passages if they speak to you, and uh, let's study God's Word together. We're looking at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Uh, friend, let's hear the Word of the Lord. Uh, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. <laughs> Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Uh, friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you have a seat and let's pray as we open up God's word. Uh, Father, we uh, confess, uh, Lord, that you are the way and the truth and the life. And Lord, we thank you that you tell us not to be troubled. Uh, Lord, that we can put our trust in you, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we will trust in you. Uh, Father, what grace that you have this passage for us this morning. Uh, help us to see it with the eyes of faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so uh, it's been kind of an interesting time, right? And as I've reflected on, uh, you know, all of the things going on in life, it has struck me that I am more convinced than ever uh, that Jesus Christ is alive. And what I mean by that, I don't mean Jesus Christ is alive in the sense that, like, I think democracy is alive or an important, or uh, I believe that, you know, college football is going to happen this fall. Uh, what I mean is uh, when I look at the physical world around us, when I see the sun rising and I see the grass growing, 
and I see people at the grocery store again, um, I am more and more overwhelmingly convinced that Jesus Christ is alive. And what I mean by that is I believe that God entered our broken, uh, messed up, sinful world. And even though we rejected him, and even though we didn't want to hear what he had to say, he loved us. And then he laid down his life for us on the cross, taking the punishment that you and I earned and deserve. And instead of punishing us, he took it and has given us new life. I mean, I believe the gospel. And beyond that, I believe that the world that you and I inhabit, the physical world of wood and of sunsets and lizards and snakes, that world, the physical world, um, is incredibly imbued with the spirit of the living God. And what I mean by that is if you uh, want to have hope in this life, and if your heart is troubled right now, I don't have a whole lot more to offer you than the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. And if you don't really think Jesus is alive, nothing that he's about to say is any kind of comfort to you. In fact, it's almost, uh, it's almost hurtful what he's about to say if he isn't alive. I mean, Paul will make this very point in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He'll say, if Jesus Christ is not alive, we of most of all people should be pitied because not only are we deceiving ourselves, we're deceiving other people. And so when you look at the world around you, um, you know, do you relegate the gospel and Christianity into sort of the realm of like you would see your political philosophy or your favorite kind of music that it's just, yeah, it's good for people. It, it fills a utilitarian purpose in life. It's good for the world. Um, it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. Well, if that's the case, then friend, um, what Jesus is about to say is really of no value to you. Uh, but but if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you love him and you want to follow him, what he is about to say um, is incredibly and profoundly helpful for right now. Um, and so uh, with that, let me just ask you a question. Are, do you find, um, do you think there are a lot of reasons uh, to be shaken? You know, can you find a lot of reasons maybe to be shaken in your spirit? Well, you know, if you look in our passage, you know, the disciples have a lot of reasons to be shaken. We were probably thinking about like in the world today. That's not what I'm asking. <laughs> what I mean is in this passage, do you think there are a lot of reasons to be shaken? Uh, well, let me remind you where we are. This is the night uh, Jesus is about to be betrayed. Uh, he has just told his disciples, his inner 12 in the upper room, that one of them is going to betray him. Uh, they are all shocked by this. You know, the other gospels tell us, they all say, is it me? Is it I? Is it I? Uh, they're they're um, incredibly upset that one of them is going to betray Jesus. And then also Jesus himself is shaken and in turmoil. Uh, John 13 tells us exactly that. Uh, verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And so Jesus is in turmoil. Jesus tells one of his disciples that one of them is going to betray him. And then Peter, you know, the de facto leader of the disciples, uh, Peter says, well, I will never do that. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the dawn. And so you could imagine, of course, that the disciples are looking around and wondering, is Peter the one that's going to deny Christ or betray him? And then don't forget about the fact that Jesus has just told them that he is going to go somewhere and they can't come. And Jesus says, just like I told my enemies, you can't come with me. Well, neither can you guys. So is it any wonder 
why the disciples are so in turmoil. I mean, think about this. They're feeling abandoned. Uh, They feel like their whole world has been turned upside down. They don't know who to trust. Uh, They don't know what the truth is. What's going on? Is Is one of us lying this whole time? Is it Peter? Is it me? What in the world is going on? And of course, you know, I don't need to ask you to think of all of the reasons for you and I to be troubled right now, right? Um, In a lot of ways, you're probably trying to avoid thinking about that because it's always sort of seeping in into the backstory of every conversation and thought you have, right? So what does Jesus tell his disciples in this moment of being upset and in turmoil and not knowing what life has? Uh, Well, friends, um, you know, remember, I believe Jesus is alive, which means he has something to say to you today personally, and Jesus communicates through his word. And I don't believe in coincidences. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this is God's word to you this morning. And what is his word? Well, to troubled, scared, disciples in turmoil, Jesus' word is simply this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Everybody got that? We can be done right now if I need to, right? I don't know how to expound that much more, (laughs) you know. And some of you are wishing I'd be done right now, but, but alas, not. Listen to Jesus' words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, it's been said before, right? The longest journey is where? From your head to your heart to your hands, right? <laughs> I know something to be true, but I don't believe it in my heart, and it doesn't change the way that I operate in this world, right? That's the longest journey. But friends, listen to this. What Jesus says in the midst of turmoil and stress and anxiety, is he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let it. And then Jesus makes an incredible claim to being divine, to being God himself. Listen to what he says. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, he's not just saying, believe in God in this way and then believe me in another way. He's actually putting himself on the same level as God. In fact, that's the whole argument of the Gospel of John, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus goes on with uh, the disciples, and he says, you want to see the Father if you've seen the Father. Uh, If if you want to see the Father, just see me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the works that I've done are the Father's works. And the Father's message is my message. So why are you asking me to see the Lord? I am the Lord. See, this is Jesus' whole point. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. What an, what an incredible claim for somebody to make unless he really was the Lord himself come to save us all. And so, uh, you know, that sounds, you know, hard, right, in a sense, because we have a lot of reasons to be really stressed out and in turmoil, right? I mean, isn't that what, like, your subconscious is trying to remind you of? If Jesus says, don't worry, there's a part of you that says, like, yeah, but still, you don't know all of the great reasons I have for worrying, right? And you don't know all of the reasons why we can be in turmoil. But, of course, Jesus is going to counter that and give us multiple reasons not to be in turmoil, Uh, But remember, these are only helpful to the extent that you actually believe Jesus is alive. I mean, if Jesus is just like an idea, you know, um, I don't know, watch YouTube or, you know, draw some flowers or, you know, go on a hike, you know, do something else. Uh, But friends, if you actually want to know God, if you want to know truth and actually know life itself, you've got to come to the one who is truth itself and who is life itself. 
and is the only way to really know God himself. So let's look at these reasons in that Jesus gives for why you and I should not be worried or in turmoil right now. And I'm just going to assume that you are in turmoil right now. And if you aren't, you need to go talk to your psychologist about being in denial. That's a joke, just so you know, but not really. It's kind of true. That's what makes it funny. All right, so the first reason for why you and I should not be in turmoil that Jesus gives is right there. It's in verse 2. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You see, the first reason that Jesus gives for why you and I should not be in turmoil right now is because Jesus says that his way, the place that he's going, that the disciples cannot go, is to the cross and to the grave and to be resurrected back to heaven. And he is going to bring us with him there when you and I die. I'll put it another way. The number one reason Jesus says not to be afraid is because heaven is real. There really is another world that you and I cannot see. It's as real as you, your soul is distinct from your body, right? Uh, You know intuitively that your soul is somehow intertwined with your physical body, but your soul ain't your body and your body isn't your soul. They're somehow linked. Well, that's how the Bible will describe the spiritual realm. There's this physical world that you and I can see and inhabit, but there's also a deeply, uh, profoundly beautiful spiritual world of which heaven is a part of. And it's where God dwells and where all the souls of the saints go when they pass. And, um, you know, a a recent uh, study done by Lifeway Research found a few years ago that something like 44% of Americans never wonder if they're going to heaven when they die. It's not that they uh, wonder, am I good enough or am I not good enough? They just never think about it. Uh, This is, you know, part of that famous rise of the nuns. You know, not people that are atheists, not people who are religious. They would just say, I'm none. I'm none of the above. I just don't care. Uh, A famous uh, writer for the Atlantic said, I'm not an atheist. I'm an apatheist. I just don't care. Almost half of Americans would say they just don't really think at all about whether or not heaven is real. Uh, But friends, uh, you may even be struggling with what's the great thing about heaven? What's so awesome about it? Isn't that just like the the never-ending worship song? I know a lot of guys, I think that they're scared that heaven is going to be like the worship song where the worship leader keeps saying, one more chorus, one more chorus. Or it's like a sermon where the pastor keeps saying, I'm about to finish in just a minute, and then he never does, right? (laughs) I mean, if that's your picture of heaven, I mean, friends, what an anemic picture of heaven. Who would want to go there? You see, what Jesus describes, though, is a home. He describes it as my father's house. And the only other time Jesus says those words, my father's house, is when he talks about the temple in Jerusalem. It's the place where God in this physical world would meet. It's where God would dwell. And the temple was meant to remind us of the Garden of Eden, where God lived in the physical world and dwelled among man. And of course, Revelation goes back to a garden image where God dwells with humanity in perfect union and in fellowship, and in relationship, right? So Jesus holds out hope that when you and I die, if we trust in him, we are actually with him in an incredibly meaningful way. Not in a way that's really boring, but in a way that's the consolation. It's the hope that every saint would ever want. 
And, uh, you, know, um, you know, full disclosure, I love singing hymns. And uh, I love hymns. You know, I also like birding. I like bird watching and I like fly fishing. You know, I like to think that I'm a 75-year-old in like a 35-year-old's body. Uh, but the reason I like hymns so much is because hymns, they always do the same thing. Um, you may think it's really boring, but I think it's really beautiful. And that is if a, if a hymn has, you know, four or five stanzas, what's the last stanza of every hymn about? It's always, always, always about heaven. You know, think about Be Thou My Vision. It ends with High King of Heaven, my victory one. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Or Amazing Grace, though we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. You see, what the hymn writers knew was that for us to want heaven, there's a part of us that needs to sing and yearn for heaven. You know, C.S. Lewis, you know, famously talks about heaven this way. He says, if there's an aching in our hearts for something that this world could never satisfy, then it's proof that you and I are made for some other world where we can find the thing that we yearn for. You know, I don't think I really yearned for heaven until tragedy hit our life. And I think that's probably true for most people. You know, it's hard to convince like a 17-year-old guy to want heaven. You know, he's like, how about uh, you let me get married and like, you know, graduate from college and like, you know, see the Grand Canyon and then I can go to heaven. Um, and I, I get that. And, you know, most people, if you ask them, do you want to go to heaven? They would say yes. And then if you ask them the follow-up question, do you want to go to heaven this afternoon? Then they kind of pause a little bit and they say, well, you know, we were going to go to, out to eat. You know, we got a hike to do. So yeah, heaven, but, you know, maybe later. See, the problem, friends, we just don't have a high enough view of heaven. And of course, you know, that's totally understandable, right? Because we don't really know what it's like. Uh, but Jesus says for the believer, part of our understanding of to negate the anxiety and the turmoil is to reflect on heaven. Uh, that there really will be a time that Jesus wipes away every tear from our eyes. You know, and it, it, it may be, this is sad to say um, in some ways, but it may be, you may not really want heaven until you sort of are weaned from wanting things in this life. And, you know, um, I didn't want heaven. I didn't really get it until, you know, tragedy struck our family. And a few years ago, my wife and I, you know, had our miscarriage. Um, and many of you have had, you know, death in your family. But, you know, um, holding our dead child in our hands has been seared into my memory forever. And I remember singing one Sunday about a year later, during that time, and we sang a song, and guess what it was about? It was about heaven. And I realized in that moment that the only time I'm going to have a conversation with my child will be in heaven. And I got it. And I think I got it for the first time. So it may be, friend, that you may not really yearn for heaven until tragedy strikes you. But it could be, friend, that part of what you need to be flooding your mind with right now and thinking about during all this turmoil is you may need to be reflecting on heaven. I mean, imagine going to worship and, you know, like, I look forward to the day that the Lutherans get to run worship. And you know why? Because Johann Sebastian Bach was a Lutheran worship minister for his whole career. And buddy, you better believe I'm gonna be front row headbanging to him playing the organ in heaven. 
Uh, Friends, that's something to look forward to. So I don't know what it is for you, but uh, for the Christian, part of the answer is, you know, we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be with him. And so whatever we're stressed out about, you know, guess what? We're going to die anyway, (laughs) right? Whether we survive this or whether we don't, uh, we're going to go be with the Lord. All right, the next reason that Jesus gives, uh, right, is he goes on in verse three and he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, that is, if I go to the cross and earn your admission into heaven for you, then he says in verse three, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so sort of the, uh, the second reason I think you and I should have hope is because part of what Christianity teaches is that Jesus Christ, um, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King of all kings, is going to one day return to the earth. You know how God entered our world 2,000 years ago? And he didn't turn the world upside down. He actually put it right side up. Well, in the Bible, Jesus is going to come back again like he did 2,000 years ago, except when Jesus returns, he's going to make all things new, and he's going to fix this broken world. And you can read in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and you can read Revelation and find out more about what that's going to be like. Uh, Thessalonians, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us Jesus is going to return, and we're going to meet him in the clouds, and then he's going to make all things new. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, and if I go to the cross and earn your place in heaven, know that that's not the end of the story. I'm going to come again, and I want to take you, and I will bring you to myself. And um, I'm not going to get into a debate about, you know, the end times. Uh, That's a very complicated uh, argument, and, you know, it's a very complicated topic. But I want you to focus on Jesus's point in verse 3. Um, Jesus is not going to, uh, you know, spend all of this time explaining what his second coming is going to be like. What I want you to focus on, Christian, is that when he comes back, notice that the emphasis is that when he comes back, we will be with him. You know, Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time telling us all the ins and the outs of the second coming in this passage. Other passages of Scripture will talk about that. What Jesus wants you to hear this morning is that part of the consolation is that Jesus is going to bring us to himself. And uh, friends, when you think about heaven and you're you're worried about that endless song or that endless sermon, um, remember that's not how Jesus is thinking about heaven. That's not how he thinks about this. What he is thinking of is a relationship, um, communion with his people, uh, that you and I are going to see our Redeemer that we are going to be able to ask him questions. We're going to be like Thomas. We're going to be able to see the holes in his hands and in his side. I mean, don't you love that, that Jesus kept the scars? Friends, we're going to actually be able to sit down and see the Lord. You see, friends, that's the great hope, right? That's the consolation is that heaven is real. Jesus is going to return. And the focus is really that we're going to be with him. And again, this is why I'm saying, um, if you don't really believe Jesus is alive or any of this stuff is true, this isn't really consolation. Uh, But one of the ways I think you know if you're a Christian is if that has any appeal to you whatsoever, (laughs) because a Christian will want to meet the Lord. A Christian will want to see Jesus. And if you're thinking, well, I could really go eternity without really sitting down and talking to Jesus, or that doesn't really woo me. 
friends, have you really met Jesus? Do you really know him? Because if you do, you will be, your heart will be drawn to him like a magnet. It's inevitable. The spirit of the living God is within you. You are a partaker of the divine nature. How can you not want to be connected to the Lord? Of course, Jesus goes on and he gives more reasons, you know, for us to be comforted during this time. In verse 4, he turns to his disciples and he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And of course, uh, Thomas, like many of us, is like, not really. I don't really know what you're talking about. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? But what I love about that is Jesus' next answer. <laughs> you know, how can we follow you, Jesus? What does that look like? Well, Jesus gives one of his most famous quotes of all time. In 14.6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's so much comfort in that statement. Uh, the first comfort I want to give you is that there is a way to know God. There is a way. And it's abundantly clear. Uh, Jesus can say it over and over and over again. And there is a way to know God. Um, but this may be a challenge to you, but Jesus says there is one way. No one comes to know God except through me. Uh, there is one Lord, one faith. And Jesus says it's through faith in him. Uh, notice Jesus doesn't say, I am a way or one of the truths, or one of the ways of life. Jesus says he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You know, I think uh, this is hard maybe for people today to accept, uh, but um, if you think Jesus or the Lord is too narrow-minded, I mean, do you really know the gospel? I mean, if you think about it, you and I sin every day. We don't really believe this stuff. We don't give to the Lord his due. And now quantify that by what? Six billion people on the planet? And then just read a history book of all of the injustice that has been committed throughout all of time. And despite all of our sin, God still loves this world. I mean, you can't even love your in-laws, okay? And God loves all of us. That's a joke. You should love your in-laws. Uh, but friends, God still loves this broken world. Even, you know, like, you know when your spouse or your kid does something and it's like no, they know what they're doing and they still defy you and how angry that makes you because you said, you knew this would make me mad and you did it anyway. Uh, friends, that's what we do all of the time to the holy and righteous God. And in response to that, what God says is I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to send my one and only son to die for you. And I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to throw open the doors to heaven itself. And I will wipe you clean with the blood of the lamb. And I will never cast you away. I will never break my vows to you. I will never send you away. Um, 10,000 years into heaven, I'm not going to change my mind. All you have to do is repent and turn and believe in Jesus, my Savior. And he loves you. And everyone else who tells you they can give you life, they're lying to you. Believe in me. And if somehow you think God is some kind of cosmic killjoy or some kind of cosmic um, miser um, who can't be trusted, 
Uh, friends, you've fallen for the oldest trick in the book. That's exactly what the serpent tells Adam and Eve. God's really holding out on you, isn't he? He's not really here for you to thrive. Oh, he would hold back things from you? How dare he? You see, friends, the gospel of grace is incredibly gracious. And part of our sin nature, part of the way that we know, as Martin Luther said, we have the inward bent of the heart, is that no matter what God does, we would still find it offensive. No matter what the Lord could say, we would find fault in him. Unless, of course, we have ears to hear and eyes to see Jesus, who changes us from the inside out, so that we see with the eyes of faith the grace and the truth in the love of Jesus. We see the gospel displayed on the cross, that God is just and yet exceedingly merciful. See, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the way to know the Lord. And what I love about that idea of Jesus as the way, the word in Greek, it just means way, right? And, it, and it's as widely used as we would say the way is, right? There is a, a way as in the sense that there's a path, but then there's also a way meaning like a way of life, right? Um, you would say that they have a beautiful way of life. Uh, well, in Greek, that same word means all of those same connotations, right? So Jesus is not just the path to God. He is the way that we are to live this life here and now, now, there's a great book called The Jesus Way by Eugene Peterson that goes right into the heart of this. But Jesus is not just the way to God. He is our way of living here and now. And when Jesus says he's the truth, uh, primarily what he means by that is he is the right revelation of God. He is the truthful one telling you what God is like. He is not lying. He is the truth. If you want to know God, you have to see him in Jesus. He is the truth. And of course, Jesus is the life giver. He's the one who gives life itself. He invented life. And if you want to have life, it can start today in faith in him. Of course, um, you know, that's not always easy for people to accept. Uh, but friends, the comfort there that I want you to see is that there is a way to know God. There is a way, and it's Jesus. And of course, Jesus goes on to the disciples, and in verse 7, he says, uh, you know, if you'd known me, you'd know the Father. And then he says, but from now on, you do know God, because you've seen him, because you've seen me. And friends, the comfort in that is if you want to know God, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you do know him. And that's the whole point, the debate of Philip. You know, Philip, um, you know, God bless him. Philip's a lot like you and me. Philip goes on in verse 8 and he says, well, show us the Father, then we'll believe. And what Philip is talking about there, of course, in the Old, in the Old Testament, uh, there were occasionally people who would have uh, visible manifestations of God. You know, think about like Moses seeing the Lord in the burning bush or um, Samson's parents in Judges 13, or think of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah, Isaiah sees the Lord, right? I think what Philip is saying is like, if you could just show me a miracle, you know, reveal to me the spiritual realm, then I would believe, right? Then I could believe. But of course, Jesus says, really, have I been with you so long, and that's what you need? Don't you get it? If you understand what I'm saying, you know God, because I am God. And if you want to know the Father, just look to me. If you want to know what the Lord is like, look to me. 
And then he says, and if that doesn't convince you, look at the things that I've done. You know, I, I empathize with, you know, Philip wanting God to reveal himself like that. But, you know, it's funny uh, because even in the Bible, what the Bible will say, uh, if, if you think, well, you know, if God would just, you know, write the Ten Commandments on the moon, then I would believe, right? If you believe, like, oh, I'll just need to see a miracle, then I would believe. Uh, friends, the, the irony of saying that is even in the Bible, the people who would have seen miracles, what they will tell us is even the Bible writers will say, yeah, but here's the thing. You don't believe, not because you haven't seen proof. You don't believe because your heart is wrong and it's bent in towards itself. And the only thing that can make you see and believe is actually recognizing who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus will say it this way. Uh, you know, he gives the parable of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke. And uh, Jesus will say, you know, in that parable that even if somebody were to rise from the dead, still they wouldn't believe. I mean, there are people who uh, see uh, all of the evidence of the resurrection, you know, the centurion guards, but we never hear of any of them believing. And, you know, famously, the Pharisees don't argue that Jesus came back from the dead. You see, friends, what the Bible would actually say is your problem is not necessarily proof. Your problem is really belief. Do you really believe Jesus is who he says he is? The only way, the only truth, and the only life. And ultimately, that's what you've got to decide. You know, do you live in a world where Jesus is actually alive and on the throne. Because if you do, what are you worried about? Seriously, why are you worried? Jesus is on the throne. He's coming back. Guess what? Things are going to get hairy towards the end of this. <laughs> and worst case scenario, you die. Well, guess what? You'll be with him. And if it's the end, guess what? He's coming again. He'll bring you to himself. And then he's going to make all things new. What are you worried about? Why would you be troubled? From your head, to your heart, to your hand. It's a long journey, but Jesus is with you.